name, amen. Okay, so that video that we just watched was a video um, by a guy named Tim Keller for a book or a Bible study called The Prodigal God, which is, um, the Bible study is about a book that takes a much closer look at the prodigal son. And we're not going to use the Bible study for this series or anything like that, but we are going to play that video each week of the series because I love the quote from Keller in the middle. And, and you probably caught it, but listen to what he says. The prodigal son's story shows us that everything you've ever thought and everything you've ever heard about how to approach God is wrong. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and we should have the Bible up here on the screens for you if you need it. Um, this is where the story of the prodigal son is. It's in Luke's gospel, told by Jesus in chapter 15. And tonight we're going to kind of set the table to get things ready for the story of the prodigal son. So here we go. Luke chapter 15 Verses 1 through 2, and we'll do like we usually do. Take it a couple verses at a time, and it's going to be awesome. So here we go. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives tax collectors and sinners and eats with them. Okay, so right away, we have two groups of people. Two totally different groups. We have the Pharisees and scribes, and we have the sinners and tax collectors. The people who, according to tradition, according to the world, were the closest ones to God, and the people who, according to tradition, according to the world, were the furthest from God. Two totally opposite groups of people. Did you catch that? Now, look at verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and see how Jesus begins the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, 11. And Jesus said, now there was a man who had how many sons? Two. Two total opposite. Notice, Jesus doesn't just say, now, a man had a son. No, right off the bat, we're supposed to see there are two sons in this story. Not just the prodigal son, not just the younger brother. But two sons are presented to this group. We call it the prodigal son a lot, but in ancient literature, and as, as the story has continued, it's either been called the parable of the two brothers or the story of the running father, which is awesome. But two sons are presented to this group. The Pharisees and the sinners. In a text with two groups, right? We met these two groups. In a text with two groups who are polar opposites, Jesus tells a story about two brothers who are polar opposites. Why? Because each brother represents a group. And here's the key. Here's the message that Jesus is trying to get across to both parties. These two groups, though separated in every way, the Pharisees and the sinners, right? The brother one and brother two. These two groups, separated in every way, are actually the same. They're united in the fact that though their behavior is different, they're both lost. They're united in the fact that though their behavior is different, they are both equally lost. And what people always miss about Luke chapter 15, see the prodigal son is the big one, right? Everybody knows the prodigal son. But what people miss about Luke chapter 15 is that that's the, that's the last third of the chapter. Jesus has already told two other stories to make this point. That the good kids are in just as much trouble as the bad kids. That the bad kids do not have a leg up. 
Look at verses 3 through 7 of Luke chapter 15. 3 through 7. So Jesus told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open pasture and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you the truth, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Notice, right off the bat in this story, with two different groups of people listening, Jesus doesn't use two different sheep. They f- the focus is on the sheep who has wandered off. Jesus doesn't say, suppose you have a good sheep and a bad sheep. Both groups of people see a sheep separated from the shepherd. The 99 other sheep are just kind of left in the background. The focus is on the sheep that has lost its shepherd. Now, the sheep has left. Why do sheep wander away? Because they're dumb. Yes, but even dumb people... Even dumb animals have motivations. Even dumb people want things. And what does a sheep want? Why does it wander off? Food. Safety. In its own way, this sheep is looking for satisfaction. It's looking for something. That's why it's leaving. That's why it's going somewhere. To look for something that will satisfy. But here's the thing. That's the shepherd's job. The shepherd leads the sheep to food. The shepherd will protect the sheep. The sheep will get exactly what it needs and exactly what it wants if it just goes with the shepherd. So the sheep that wanders off on its own is saying this, I want food. And I don't need the shepherd to get it. I don't need his leadership. I don't need his help to get what I want. I can get this my own way. That's what the sheep who wanders off does. Now, here's the thing. This is an easy one for specific people that we label, right? Of course, this, this, is, this would be a really good sermon for, for her. Of course, she's wandered off. Of course, she needs God. She got pregnant out of wedlock. Of course he needs God. He cussed his teacher out in front of the whole class. And we watch these people and we shake our heads and we, oh, these wandering sheep. If they only had as many Awana medals as I did, then they wouldn't be. And see, and, but here's the thing. And here's Jesus' point. It's the sinful ones, right? The wandering sheep. Oh, there it is. The wandering sheep that say, I don't need God to be happy. I don't need the shepherd. I don't need his guidance and protection to be happy. I'm going to sleep with this person. I'm going to behave like this. I'm going to watch this. I don't need God's guidance to be happy. They say, I don't need God. But then why is there only one sheep in this story? The reason the Pharisees aren't represented by a good sheep who doesn't say that 
is because the good kids, the elder brothers, the Pharisees say the exact same thing. Both groups say that they don't need God. I went to a private Christian high school called Wesleyan, and it was in Atlanta, and my parents taught there, so don't get all, you know, whatever. Um, but they had, and it was awesome. It was a great school, um, but they had chapel on Fridays, right? And chapel is just like a church service. It really, the student band would lead a little bit, and then a teacher would share a devotion. And these devotions were awful. They were, it was rough. It was just boring. And I remember, so I was there from eighth grade through senior year of high school, and I was in ninth grade at the time, so I remember, you know, it had been about a year into this, and I was riding home with my dad, and I was like, Dad, this is a Christian school with Christian teachers whose job it is to communicate with kids from a Christian perspective. Why are their devotions so boring? Why are their chapels so boring? And I will never forget what my dad said. He said, Ryan, these people deep down, they don't think they need God. Why don't they think they need God? Because they're accomplished, because they toe the line and behave, because their resumes are awesome and their behavior is perfect. Why would they think that they even need a Savior? Have you ever heard someone talk about, like two people are dating and someone is talk, and they're talking about the person they're dating, but it's clear that they don't actually like them? Like, how's, your, how's it going with your boyfriend? Oh, he's really nice. Okay. How's it going with your girlfriend? Oh, she is, she is really sweet. Good, good. It's obvious from those words that there is no true affection right? Follow this. They act nice and they behave well around the other person, but there's no connection. Our sinful hearts will use behavior as a substitute for affection. As long as you have good behavior, you don't need that affection. And that's why the chapels at Wesleyan were so boring, because it was just them saying over and over again, God is really nice. There was no connection. There was no, and they don't need it because they're well behaved. They don't need connection with a Savior. So they don't talk like they do. You don't need to connect with Jesus. You do your quiet time every morning. You don't need to connect with Jesus. You're not going to, you would never do this. I don't need connection with Jesus because I'm, I'm on the leadership team or I'm in small group or I don't need you. And all these ways that you're supposed to connect to Jesus. You're actually using his behavior to substitute for an actual connection. The bad kid, right? The bad kid says, I don't need God. I like misbehaving too much. I don't need God. This feels too good. I don't need God. I like misbehaving too much. The good kid says, I don't need God because my behavior is fine. You see, they're both lost. Look at what Jesus says at the end of this in verse 7. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. One more time. I tell you the truth that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Notice two things here. Okay, Number one, there is no joy in the bad behavior. So let me let's slow down because I don't want it to sound like how was, how was youth group? Ryan said that we don't need to go to small groups or church or anything like that because we're both, we're all going to hell. So that's what we learned. I don't want you to come away with that. First thing to notice from the Bible, did you notice there is no joy in the bad behavior? There's no joy in the sheep wandering off. Um, here we go. Taylor Swift has had a song called... It was back when Taylor Swift was actually Taylor Swift. Take that for what it's worth. Um, And it's called, That's the Way I Loved You. This is the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it. Here we go. I miss... Ah, it's bad, man. Here we go. I miss screaming and fighting and kissing in the rain. It's 2 a.m. and I'm cursing your name. You're so in love that you act insane. And that's the way I loved you. So... It's this song, and each verse balances. It's this guy who's super awesome and super polite and all this stuff, but she misses this guy that she used to fight with all the time. And this is what happens. Okay, it's about this girl who misses this, who she misses this guy that she always used to fight with. Okay, we're not going to get here to the big issue. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I like Tay Swift. <laughs> Fearless is easily her best album. We'll get there later. And that's on there. But that, that's so stupid. That doesn't make any sense. Because here's what happens. And here's what happens to you guys. We think we need this passion. And they fight, but it's because they care. And I want a relationship like that. Not a boring one where we get along all the time. And that sounds, but listen, that sounds so dumb. And you guys are smart. You get that. That's ridiculous. No one actually wants a relationship like that. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But we think that about God. Sometimes we get caught in this idea of thinking, there's forgiveness. It's cool. Jesus loves the bad kids. He loves the sinners. He leaves the 99. Look, he, he leaves, he, he's only focused on the ones who have totally acted out. If you're a boring church kid, your life must be terrible because Jesus loves the prodigals. Jesus isn't going to love you. He wants sinners. Now, Jesus does love the bad kids, which is the whole point. But this idea that Jesus only focuses on the bad kids is from the pit of hell. And here's why. Kristen and I uh, have already planned, my wife, for any, I don't know if there's any newbies in here, but anyway, my wife Kristen and I have already planned, we think, um, our daughter's name, should we have one. Now don't get crazy, that's like five years down the road, ten years down the road, whatever. But, we're, you know, you think about it, you think about this stuff. Um, we're going to, if you guys start crying on me, I'm going to freak out. Um, her, we're, going, we're, we're leaning towards, we're leaning toward, towards the name Elah. Uh, Elah is where David fought Goliath. Um, and let me tell you something. Now, listen, because this is so important. Um, I hope that Elah has the most boring life ever, right? No tragedy, no deep sin, no scandal that leads her back to Jesus with tears. I hope that Jesus binds himself to my daughter from day one and she never looks back. Because that's what love does. 
Love wants you to stay. Jesus will chase you if you wander off. And we're going to get there. But my gosh, any love, listen, any loving parent wants boring. Because they want their kid to avoid the pain and regret that comes from disobedience. So often, some of you guys are moving on to college, some of you guys are getting older and you're trying out new churches, which is totally fine, but you're going to hear this message over and over again that just focuses on if you misbehave, if you're terrible, we're all terrible, Jesus loves those of us who are terrible, it's okay to be terrible, and, it, and they never once pump the brakes and are like, this has got to change. Because this only leads to pain and regret. This only, and I'm not trying to bash you with, do this right, do this right. I'm not trying to weigh you down, but I'm saying, don't think that Jesus, it's not, it's not called the prodigal son. It's about the two brothers. Two brothers who are equally lost, two groups of people who are equally in need of Jesus. I think sometimes we feel ashamed because our testimony is boring. Do you know how many bad kids who have become Christians would kill to have a boring testimony? Would, would want to just get to Jesus without all the mess they had to get through to get to Him? And for those of you who maybe are in the deal, you're the good kid, you're the deacon's kid, you're the pastor's kid, you're buddy-buddy you're, you're with the youth pastor, everything's cool, and, but you're starting to, to kind of slip. And maybe you're not starting, maybe it's, it's full-on down, you're just keeping it under. Don't think that this is something that's good. Don't think that this is something that's healthy. Begin to pull away from this because, because the shepherd comes to those and he doesn't just sit there and let them be terrible. He brings them back. We have to remember this. The shepherd's coming to bring you back. Look at, look at verse 5. Look at Luke 15, 5. And when I find it, we will read it. There it is. When he has found the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls his friends together and his neighbors saying, to them, Rejoice with me. Why? Because, or for, I have found my sheep which was lost. The joy is not in the bad behavior. Oh, it's okay. Jesus loves the world. Oh, it's cool. You know, play reckless love again. It's not like that. The rejoicing is when they come home. The rejoicing is bringing them back. There is no rejoicing in the bad behavior. It's not cool to be a prodigal. And so many churches make it cool. There's no rejoicing in the bad behavior, but here's, here's the deal. Number two, there's no rejoicing in the good behavior either. Look at verse 7. I tell you the truth, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. These people are righteous. Righteous is a, you know, it means the state of being right or good. That's what righteous means. But look at what Jesus says. These people who are 99 who are righteous persons who needed no repentance. These people are so righteous, so well-behaved, have so many Awana medals that they, don't, that they don't think that they even need to repent. These are the, I've been a Christian my whole life, people. They haven't, there is no repentance. Repent means to change 
your mind. It means to understand that God loves you and that you need Him. This is, the, this is Georgia, the, the buckle of the Bible belt. Everybody knows God loves them. But repentance is understanding that God loves you and that you need Him. It's this coming to your senses. It's not behavior. I know I'm a Christian because I would never do this, this, and this. I know I'm a Christian because I walked the aisle during invitation. I know I'm a Christian because I was baptized. Do you see this, the common thread in all those? It's you. There's no Jesus in there. Now, all those things are good. All those things are signs of salvation. Like, if you walk the aisle, I'm not going to be like, mm, turn around. Like, I'm not going to send you back. Like, if we, get, if, you do, if we do baptism, I'm not going to, like, keep you above the water, and you have to, like, I'm not going to do that. But listen, there's no salvation in that water. There's no salvation at the end of the aisle. You see, we've celebrated because, oh, I'm not a prodigal. You're not in the first group, but you don't realize, for some of you, it's just because you're in the second group. And Jesus says there's no celebration over that. There's no celebration over the 99 who don't need repentance. The joy isn't in the bad person. The joy is not in the good person. The joy is in the one who repents. In verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one who repents. It doesn't say if it's the good sheep or the bad sheep. The one who repents. Now, look at the next story, the lost coin, verses 8 through 10. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which was lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of, angels, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, Jesus drives the point even further home here. Again, no other coins. It's this one coin that's lost. This one coin that's the focus. But there are Pharisees in this story. There are good kids listening to this story. Kids who are in temple all the time. I get the lost coin for the bad kids. That makes sense. But why is there not a, good, a, a separate coin for the good kids? Like the coin that was lost, but then there's another coin that stayed in the piggy bank all the time, and everything was great. Why, is it, why are there two coins? Because that coin doesn't exist, and that's Jesus' point. They're both lost. They're both this lost coin. And the problem at root, the problem at root is not their good behavior or their bad behavior. It's that they're lost. That's the point of this whole parable. A coin doesn't have behavior. It's lost. The Pharisees and sinners are both hearing that the problem is the coin is far from the widow. The sheep has wandered off. Your bad behavior, right? This bad behavior isn't the root problem. Your bad behavior isn't your root problem, which means that your good behavior isn't the solution. If bad behavior is not the problem, the root problem, good behavior isn't the root solution. The solution is repentance. 
a relationship with the one that you've been lost from. A relationship with the one who is seeking you out. One of the big questions in Luke chapter 15 that the people didn't understand is why? Why does the, you know the story of the prodigal son. Why does the prodigal son not get punished for leaving his father? Why does the older brother not get punished by the father for disrespecting him by not coming into the feast at the end? Both groups in the crowd are thinking, where is the shepherd from the first story? Where is this widow who loves us and is searching for us so desperately? And the irony is, the answer is the one telling the story. Jesus is saying, you're looking at the answer to all of those questions. It's me. I'm the shepherd who comes to bring repentance. I'm the widow who left the heavenly, the heavenly kingdom to come and find you. The reason, the reason the elder brother isn't kicked out of his father's house for disrespecting him is because I'm about to get kicked out of my father's presence for him, for you. And you know this in Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus says on the cross, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's been kicked out. Which is exactly what the older brother deserves. But it doesn't happen. Jesus is saying the reason the younger brother isn't spit on and beaten for leaving his father is because I'm about to be spit on and beaten in his place. Jesus says these stories all point to me and you need me. Because let's be real. Your good behavior really isn't that good. And you know it. Your bad behavior, the ways that you act out, the things that you don't talk about in small group, because what would people say? This bad stuff that you do, but you like it, it's never going to fill you. And you know that. You misbehave and you don't care, right? That's the key. You misbehave and you don't care. You've wandered off to find your own satisfaction. And instead of leaving you out there, instead of leaving you to drown in pornography on your phone, instead of leaving you to drown in a toxic relationship, instead of leaving you to drown in a family environment that's toxic and doesn't believe in Christ, instead of leaving you out there, Christ moves towards you in love, waking up your heart, quickening your spirit, making it more aware, so that the things you used to do you don't just stop doing them. That's not the point. The point is, they don't taste as good in your soul anymore. You become a Christian and you fall into pornography again, but something's different this time. It doesn't feel the same. There's not the same kick. There's not the same jolt. There's not that same thing. You do that whatever with your boyfriend or girlfriend anymore. It's not the same anymore. Why isn't it the same anymore? Because it's not you under there anymore. There's an old, boring theologian, a guy named Augustine or Augustine. And people who think church history is boring are just people who don't know church history. Augustine was crazy about women and messed around with women all the time, loved women. He was a pagan and he was good at it. It was awesome. It was crazy. And then he becomes a believer in Christ 
And he's walking, this is, this is literally thousands of years ago, and he's walking back into this town where he sees this woman that he used to fool around with. And the woman comes up to him, and he doesn't want a part of it. And she says, but Augustine, it, it is, it's I. And he says, I know, but it is not I. It's changed. Something is different. I'm different now. You don't have the hands to do that. The shepherd does that. Flip it around. You think you're going to heaven because you're well behaved. When someone asks you why you think you're a Christian, your first reaction is your behavior instead of Christ's behavior. Instead of leaving you to that, Jesus moves towards you and says, No. I'm your only ticket in. It's my righteousness that you need, and I'll give it to you. I'll find you. The groundwork has been set, and Jesus is about to tell a third story. And this story, instead of addressing the two groups of people together, he's now going to address them separately by mentioning two brothers. And in addressing them as two lost brothers, he brings them together as both groups begin to understand what we all need to understand. That Jesus loves us. And we really do need him. Let's pray.